Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. I'm Steve Smith, along with Johan Fruling. Say that correctly. Fruling. Fruling means spring. Second visit here. He's a fitness coach, and it's been great to have him here. We actually have 100 short videos on our YouTube channel. You could tell us a little bit about those, but why don't you first tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you currently are with your career and your aspirations. Yeah, so I'm uh, from Hamburg, Germany. Uh, currently, I'm studying sports science uh, in Leipzig. That's a city in the Middle East of, of Germany at the University of Leipzig. Um, I'm currently at the end of my bachelor study. I'm uh, currently writing my bachelor thesis about strength training and running. Or what benefits has strength training during uh, when you when you're a runner for runners trainer. Um, yeah, I'm working a lot as a, a running coach in a, for running school in Leipzig and also have a few cor- running courses for, for the university. Besides that, I'm also working a little bit for the biggest foam roll company in Germany that's called Black Roll um, because they have a Black Roll and this is like extremely famous in, in Germany, very popular. I'm working there for, as, as a promoter and uh, currently I'm here helping you out, Steve. Um, it's been great. Second time. Yeah, second time. Um, love to work here. I'm now nearly two months in here, I think. And uh, yeah, love it, uh, the work with the kids and um, helping them out. We'll have to get into that with uh, your triath- triathlete. Is that how you say that? Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm on my own. I'm a triathlete. I'm not a tennis player. I played a little bit tennis when I was like around 11 to 13, so two years, but not very specific. I started triathlon in 2012, so now I'm training for around 10 years. I have some ups and downs, especially when it comes to running. Of course, I have a huge uh, running injury. Um, I had a shin split for like nearly no, seven years around. I still have it a little bit sometimes when I'm training too hard, too intense. Um, yeah, triathlon for everybody who doesn't know exactly is uh, first you swim, then you go on the bike, and then you go on the run with no breaks in between. And yeah, a short distance is around one hour, and it goes all, uh, all the way up to the long distance. It's the Ironman pros needs around eight hours for that, and the, the amateur above 10 to, to 17 up. Yeah, one of our previous guests, Mike, Mike Carter, he was with us in a couple of different capacities for five years. He um, has a background as a triathlete now. With your uh, childhood, you played other sports. What about football? that's one of the sports i didn't do i tried it out for like a month i think two months around because a friend of me was wasn't wasn't uh, at the team and uh, I, I joined him but uh, in my in my yeah, teenage years kids years around i first did judo it's my first sport i did it for 12 and a half years so from 6 to 18 so a very long time i I quit then the the club after I moved out from Hamburg to to study in uh, start studying in Cologne. Um, I'd play some basketball or played because uh, tall 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 boy sent him to basketball it was an easy decision for my parents. I also uh, did dancing school for one year, so 
quite a dancer. Diversified, that's great. Yeah, you're six four and I'm five four. I used to be five nine. Use a Vic Braden line. The juniors have beaten me down. <laughs> With seems to me like everybody in Germany just roll the ball and everybody can play soccer quite well. Yeah. You played a lot uh, with your friends, with your neighbor, with friends. Uh, uh, everywhere are uh, small goals, uh, uh, goals where you can play it everywhere. It's, uh, Just invent a game, rope a ball of socks, and you're good to play in an empty room or uh, just some corner somewhere, indoors or out. My son, Connor, he was in Germany when you held the World Cup. How old were you when that took place? Uh, nine, 2006, was it, in, in Germany? So, yeah. I mean, the World Cup just finished the other day. What a fantastic game, or fantastic ending. It's a game, too. Um, with your studies in Germany, in order, in order, you started in business, but then when you decided to study sports science, you had to go right back to day one. You don't have to really do that in the States. Yeah, so, so I started in, in Cologne, the sports science, and then I, I tried also uh, one year out to become a teacher, but I, uh, after half a year, I noticed like, nah, it's not really fitting me. And then I, I switched the, the university to, to Leipzig for a few reasons, and I nearly have to start over again. It's the reason why I'm uh, still in my bachelor uh, study. And then Corona happened. Uh, during Corona, there were no practice courses. Everything was shutting down, and yeah, we have to wait like nearly two years to to get the practice courses back for us. With, tell us about your connection with your stepfather through tennis. Oh yeah, so my stepfather is uh, or was he's now retired, a professional tennis trainer. He trained, for example, uh, Rios from Chile, Marcel Rios, I think, is the first name. Marcel Rios. Uh, Marcel Rios. Um, and your stepfather, Erwin Danenberg, he's from Chile. Yeah, he's, he's born and raised in Chile and now is uh, living in Hamburg with my mother together. Yeah, he's there since I like around I uh, was six when he moved in with us together. So he was there all the time for me. He was also the person who uh, was sending me to sports and was educating me a lot that I'm becoming, uh, going in the sport direction. Uh, nowadays, um, he sometimes have a few players. I'm um, uh, looking out for them or training them. Most of the time, I try to teach them how to run. Uh, running teacher, I have a little bit of knowledge of running. And I have also an, uh, one athlete I'm still training over online. I give the running training plan. I'm sending videos how to do the exercises. Sometimes we make like video coaching. And so I know that he's doing the exercise correct. So we do this now for like around half, one and a half year. For our listeners, uh, I was at a, a tournament, been in many tournaments with Johan, and I said, see that gentleman over there? It's Ricardo Acioli, who has a very impressive background in tennis. Now he's managing Chris Everts, but he uh, played world-class tennis, and he also, I mean, he worked with Rios too. He worked with uh, Sabatini. And I said, if you appoint him, I go over there and ask that gentleman, <clears throat> and he will tell you that he knows Erwin really, really well. They play tennis together. With that, um, I do think tennis parents in Germany, when you enter a room, when a junior enters a room, they greet everyone. They go right up to the adults and shake hands and say hello. And that's gone away from in the U.S. That that's gone away. I mean, I, I think it should be Mister, Mrs. So and So, Doctor So and So, where you greet people. It, it, it's amazing to me that young juniors will just walk right by adults and not even say hello. Shocking. With, 
Um, tell us your, your goals academically. I think, I think here um, we've, we've contacted quite a few people about a grad assistantship. In other words, you can um, have some type of employment position at a university where you get your master's degree and um, therefore the tuition is waived. Sometimes, I mean, I've had students be in a situation where they live in the dorm for free, they eat in the cafeteria for free, their tuition is free, but then they, besides some of the responsibilities with being um, a resident counselor, resident assistant, they have to uh, help to say if they're with a tennis team. They have to work the tennis team, plus then they have to go to class and study. But tell us about, um, you want to uh, come to the U.S. and hopefully in the fall and 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 complete a master's program. Yeah, this is uh, the kind of idea I have um, to finish my, my bachelor degree in, in Germany and then coming back here in the U.S., try to yeah, get the GA position um, to like finance my, my, my study here. Obviously, I want to go in the same direction I'm studying now, in the direction of coaching, uh, sports science, whatever, um, and yeah, to, to get here in master's degree. Would lovely if it would be here somewhere around uh, in Florida, so, so I could maybe help you also out sometimes. Um, because again, I love to work with the kids here. I love also the program and how you teaching kids uh, to play tennis. It's very unique. I never saw something like this ever before in Germany. And through my stepfather, I saw quite some uh, tennis courts and a lot of tennis coaches try to teach kids tennis. So. Yeah, this is the kind of thing I want to try to to yeah, achieve in the, in the next year or the next years. In the U.S., perhaps we're the land of certification in, in tennis. The alphabet soup, USPTA, the PTR, the USTA. I mean, that's just three, and there's there's others. When I ran an academic program for tennis teachers, we had them go through nine. In addition to getting a two-year degree, we had nine different certifications. Um, in Germany, is it the same? Like I know, and um, I'm not an expert by any means, but there's all sorts of alphabet soup for fitness with certifications. Is it the same in Germany? Or you, or you have to have, I mean, I think of that more as an inf informal education. The formal education is where you, you go to university and you're studying and it's old school, old school. Yeah, so we have a few like trial license system and it goes from C, B, then A is the highest. And you have to like uh, how you call this uh, workshops, etc., seminars at the weekend. So you have to visit them, and then uh, yeah, sit there, listen to to the teacher, the teaching you stuff. And the higher you get, the higher the uh, or the better, or the professionals get the the information you're getting there. And it's also the system that you have to redo. I think like every two or three years, you have to redo all these seminars and has to get lessons in to yeah still be up to date what is now the common knowledge uh, in uh, training science etc so this is the things i know and I, i spent so much time in germany in the in the 1980s their tennis boom was maybe 10 years behind ours um, like there's a tennis boom now here in this country for pickleball it reminds me of tennis in the 70s but in that in the 80s boris becker and Steffi graf came along and they're both Obviously, sensational, fantastic, Auskuseitnik. They were they were number ones, and there was a boom in Germany. I mean, if you were a teaching pro in Germany, 
you want to play tennis, seriously, you'd have to play at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. You just could not get a court. Many of my students to, to this day are still living, living and working in Germany. Vic Braden, we talk about often, had uh, numerous tennis schools. Ankum, Zilt, Goslar, Reitenwinkel. I mean, I've got to slow down and think if, I, if I've covered all of them. But And I remember I traveled as a consultant. I would go over there. He hired coaches I trained, and I would go over there in the summers. And I've been there in, in many other capacities. I have not been there um, in the only in the summer, I should just say it that way. But Hamburg, I've been in Hamburg, um, and then near Hamburg, Lubeck and Bad Schwartau, different places. Um, tell us about, um, with tennis in Germany, does pretty much every junior program have a fitness coach? I'm honestly not 100% sure, I know that exactly, but uh, most of the time, yeah, they have some sort of tennis, uh, fitness coaches, conditioning, strength coach, and however you want to call this. Yeah, I, I, in this country, I would say that more and more tennis programs have their own fitness coach. But if not, the parents of goal-oriented juniors are seeking out a fitness coach. And I have said this many times, where keep, people come... A lot of times we work as a supplemental coach. Juniors are sent to us. And I ask them, do they have a fitness coach? And they say yes. And I say, your fitness, fitness coach may be an expert. They may be truly, truly outstanding, but you need to fire your fitness coach because they're not fit. Um, I think anything that can be measured to be improved and putting people through a battery of tests, um, not to pinpoint and, and name names, but you've, you know, the, with your last visit here like a year ago this time and this, this time around, you've, you've met a number of players. What would your assessment be of the juniors that you've met? Fit, unfit, scale one to 10? Oh yeah, I have everything here. So from like around the three, four, so unfit, likely more unfit, where you're like looking at the player or looking at the athlete and you think like, yeah, it doesn't matter what we're training here, everything will We'll, we'll be improving him because he's needing everything, strength, endurance, speed, whatever. And then uh, some of the players will go up like around, I would say an eight, not higher. Very high professional is not here, but now uh, we think about more, okay, he's good at these and these. I have to be more specific uh, when I do certain exercises with him to get him in a certain way. Um, where he is, for example, obviously has a good speed, but in the endurance we can work a little bit more. So get him into specific. So this is the, like the range from all the players. But I would say the average is more around the five to six. Most of the kids are not so fit they could be. Let's say it like this. Well, I also think, you know, you know I've been told this in, by soccer people in the U.S. is that soccer kids in the U.S. only play structured organized soccer they don't play pickup soccer also too is that kids don't play outdoors i mean seriously uh it used to be especially the boys be a tennis practice and you're always telling kids not to climb the trees and they don't climb the trees i would say they don't even play outside my late mother we would drive through a neighborhood and she would say i think all the kids are inside playing with a butler with um what would you recommend you know you think with Someone who's starting tennis as far as running. For me, the four areas of tennis, the one I know the least about is fitness, but I think 
is very for me it's not sport specific but if you take the whistle and you have the voice of command you can start to get people to do push-ups even if you're not they're not the the best form of push-ups uh, i think a lot of times tennis parents have heard this juniors love to hear this that the, our sport is anaerobic so you shouldn't do any distance running but i think in the very beginning days we use the expression you know just to get miles on your legs what do you, what do you rec for, recommend for the beginning player? And, so, and I think also, too, is that you've met some, unfortunately, 17, 18-year-olds that are beginners from a fitness standpoint. What, what would you recommend that they do? Yeah, so when you look at the, the general fitness, you can like divide it in five huge topics. That's strength, endurance, speed, st stretching, mobility, whatever you're going to call it, and uh, coordination. So... At the in beginning, coordination is a huge part uh, to get even the simple coordination in the movement in how I run towards the ball, how running back, and all these little coordination exercises you have to do. When it comes to tennis, you have to think about tennis matches can at least, uh, uh, can last uh, one and a half to two hours or even longer when you go into Grand Slams at the end. So endurance is, is a huge part in it. So. You need the ability to recover. So endurance is defined also by recovery. So better endurance means faster recovery, what is in tennis obviously extremely important when you have uh, the little breaks in between the, the points. So to improve your endurance, you just have to run long. Uh, you have to go on a long run to get a better endurance. It's just, uh, simply everybody knows that. Uh, also important is to do slow runs. So you're going for a long, long run. And especially when you're in a beginner, you cannot run so fast. So this slow, easy, long runs will improve your, your, your endurance extremely fast, extremely good. So this is one of the parts I would recommend them. Also, um, when you're doing slow, easy runs, it's not so hard on your joints, your, your ankles, your knees, whatever. You can also build this up over, like, go on a bike, Um, bicycle when you even want to get less impact on the joint for the knee or for the ankle and just go on the bike then you can also improve there your just normal endurance and afterwards then start with strength training first uh, core core workouts you cannot there is not such a thing too good core muscles never heard of it and i think we'll never heard that someone comes and say i had too good core muscle i have to skip the core workout <laughs> will never happen um so core workout all day you can nearly train every day core uh, normal playing sit-ups and there are so many hundreds of different variation of sit-ups you can do to yeah get variation in your training not it's got not boring no? when you're doing all the five exercise every day in the same you get bored at some time maybe so uh, variation in the training is uh, very easy And then, obviously, the, the normal strength. And I start with the, a lot of stabilization exercises. When you have all this stabilization and coordination in, then you can start lifting a little bit more weights. But at the end, strength training is not the most important part when it comes to, to tennis because you have to think about the tennis record wears a uh, weight around three to 400 grams, maybe around yeah. something like this. So you don't have to move a lot of weight because... Tennis racket is light, ball is light, so speed is a little bit more important. How fast you can swing the racket, and not how uh, much uh, you can uh, press on the bench press. So this is not so important. Isometrics. You're, we always tell people your your body's a built-in gym. We look at film. We look at film today, almost every day, 
and you know, it's nice to, for, to have the film so the students in out-of-body experience, they can see themselves just like, okay, now go shadow swing in front of the mirror, out-of-body experience. But, and again, it just seems like doom and gloom. Almost nobody gets low. They just, they stand straight up, as, you know, spend on a two-handed backhand, they collapse the wrist. And they're just, you know, are they getting behind the ball? Do they have fast feet? Jack Kramer, you talk a little bit about skipping rope, jumping rope. Comes from boxing, and um, we tell kids minimum do three three minute rounds a day. So you, you can do abs. You always can do abs. It's not like okay, we'll do lower body on Monday, upper body on Tuesday, but you can always do abs. Is what I have been told by fitness trainers. So you skip rope for a minute, you rest for a minute. We tell people okay, you could shadow swing your strokes. We tell people okay, we're gonna get you hit off the cone, hit four balls off the cone and then do 40 jumps. And they really enjoy slowing down and getting some oxygen and hitting off the cone. But Kramer used to say, if I could do an hour, it's 15 rounds. I tell people if we could just have on their sleeve how many times they have done that routine. Okay, we've known you five years, we'll multiply that times 365, and it's it's a dark cloud, it's a dark cloud. But what do you, what do you think about uh, jump roping? Jump rowing is a nice exercise. Uh, it gives you the coordination, this rhythmic from from your ankles. Now, the smaller the jumps, you have a lot small and middle jumps uh, when it comes to tennis. Also, improve uh, your ankles. Uh, the better or the stronger your ankles is, the less injury you get. It's a simple thing. So, jump ro- uh, skip, uh, skip, skip roping. Uh, it's uh, ex- extremely good. Three minutes at the, uh, in the beginning is quite a lot of time. So when you now we had that question before when you started, so maybe start with like half a minute or a minute. Try to c- continuously jumping, uh, get the coordination, get the technique in from from uh, skip roping. But uh, when you're good at this, three minutes, one minute off, perfect, perfect routine. You can really improve the, over that. I was listening to a Russian hockey player today walking to practice and from the age of six to 16, he had the same coach with uh, Roger Federer's family, his parents, I believe he was just 17 and he's been with him ever since, but they said, okay, we've hired this fitness trainer for three years. I do think that in tennis, one bad coach for 10 years is better than 10 different coaches. Just that continuity what about going from one physical trainer to the next? What's your thoughts on that? Can help because different person have different, like look at you, maybe see if something different has uh, different thoughts, different aspects. Uh, not every trainer is good for every athlete. No, it's like a relationship at the end. You cannot like match every woman with every man. It's like you have to find your partner and you also have to find your trainer at the one point. So it can improve you. Now, when you're a little bit unhappy, you're not like saying 100% trusting uh, in what the, the, the coach is doing with you. So that can be improving. But when you like trusting him, then try to stick one because uh, a coach most of the time or good coaches has uh, a deeper thought into their training uh, they, they start something off and you may be like eh, what is exactly doing but he's like thinking two three steps ahead so he's like trust me I have a system and we will you will go there and we will come to the goal we want to achieve uh, at your fitness and um, so it can be good 
but it also can be worse to staying or switching. So it's a little bit, uh, not 100% mm-hmm. like easy to say, but yeah, I would like to, I'm my personal, I, I love it to, to continuously have one athlete because I can work with them over time and a long time and you see the progression and you can go further and further. You at one point knowing the athlete extremely well, when he's like mentioning some pain, you can better sort that in. Is this there no pain where you have to worry about the injury or is this more pain? Okay. One, two, a little bit lighter days and then you can start in the, the intensity again. So good and maybe bad depends a lot i know i like that answer with you know one of our longtime associates he's been a guest on the podcast matt clure he most recently left the usta as a national coach and now he's at the university of florida and the head coach brian shelton ben was a storybook uh, we actually interviewed one of the other coaches scotty perelman and father son at the ncaa tennis tournament the the, the, the team wins the nationals but, you know, Matt has set this up for you so you can go to Munich. They've hired a coach, a fitness coach for Ben. I say they, now there's, I'm sure, agencies and a lot of people involved. But um, what are your thoughts on observing? Um, I've loved to just watch people teach tennis. You know, I go places and, um, you know, for example, uh, I would go and watch my son Connor play a college tennis match. And there was one setting where there was tennis teaching going on on as, you know, outdoors, there's six courts on one side, six courts on the other. Of course, I watch the doubles because it's very fast and that's over. And I you know, watch the first, first few games of uh, the singles. So I'll go, now I'll go watch the, watch the clinic. You know, you can always pick up ideas, you know, what to do, what not to do. But what are your thoughts from a learning standpoint? I know with formal education, you, um, again, plan on getting grad assistantship. And I know Matt Clore and others We'll go on a campaign for that, trying to find more people to help you find a grad assistantship this upcoming spring. But what are your thoughts in, with fitness observing versus, I guess it's uh, practical versus theoretical. Um, basically, for the most part, the coaches that I work, they're learning this through observation. More of a, they're in a practical setting. It's not a theoretical setting where they're sitting down, taking notes, taking a test, read this book, we'll come back, we'll discuss it. What were your thoughts about just observing? How much have you learned by just observing other physical trainers? A lot, a lot, a lot. You know, my stand of point is like always look what other people are doing. And then maybe when you think that's a good, uh, when you're a trainer, you get a like common sense. This is a good exercise, this is a bad exercise. Should I? Can I adapt it? Maybe I change a little few things because I think in a certain way is better. No, I have my specific way of giving training or teaching exercise. Um, so very important. I love it also uh, to to watch other uh, coaches uh, giving training because um, yeah, just to to absorb them. And at the end, you don't have to invent the wheel new. No, you can just adapt it. You know, not every exercise has to come new and exciting from you. For example, what I'm doing is I'm nearly on a daily basis. I'm searching through Instagram. No, I have a lot of exercise from Instagram. I'm just searching through it. Um, sometimes there's nothing new for me. Sometimes there are like two or three new exercises and I uh, save them, write them down, that I try, okay, what is the next session where I can like implement them and 
can gain their normal knowledge about um, uh, yeah more more exercises, better exercises. And again, variability in training is extremely important. Uh, not doing always the same because when you're always doing the same, the body gets used to it and you're not improving so much more. And um, also when you're talking to uh, trainers or coaches, when there is like the possibility to talk to them, um, and ask them uh, how why you're doing this exercise or why you're doing this exercise. They maybe mention something that you n not like think about in this way about this exercise before. So you also can uh, get a different point of view on certain things or athletes or exercises that you never had before. So talk to them, ask them what are you doing here. Also ask athletes. Uh, I'm also like you know, when athletes coming, for example, to a track. And I'm giving the training and they're doing the, the training. Uh, think, uh, I, find, I think this is like an interesting training. I'm asking, hey, what, what are you doing here? Uh, what, what, what is your discipline? How much you run? Why you do this, etc. And sometimes they're giving extremely interesting answers where you can learn a lot from. So yeah, office saving, ask some people, I don't know, visit seminars, listen to podcasts, also obviously a, a good chance to, to learn new things. So extremely important. I do it a lot. I love it also no, to see the work from other people. Sometimes it's a little bit funny no, when you think like, ah, what they're doing is not the best. Um, also, every time you have this little, sometimes a little bit. Um, yeah, so. You know, the, I think the experts in mental performance, the experts in fitness are, there's more continuity. There's more common denominators as you, as you start to observe it. In tennis, it's like the wild, wild west. Any, anything goes with, um, yeah, I call it YouTube research, where I, in tennis teaching, it just baffles me. Um, you know, it's use some buzzwords, reverse engineering. Someone's got a horizontal release on their fall through on either side, and it's okay, we'll track backwards. And it's, it's kind of mumbo jumbo. It sounds good, but then you know, can you hit the ball consistently to the target? Technique, there's technique in everything. I tell people to get their attention when, like junior players, you know, they're 13, 14 years old. When you were in elementary school and they had races, they had relay races, and everybody was so excited. Uh, you know, that's why they put blinders on a horse. You know, to just look straight ahead, the running technique. You know, it's like all four limbs are going in four different directions. You know, and the idea, okay, we're going to teach you initially to move like a toy soldier and eyes straight ahead, up and down with your arms, up and down with your knees, alignment. Um, I do think that the listeners need to know, and you can comment on this, is I think they find out very quickly coming to visit us, and that's why they're sent to visit us, is their tennis technique is very poor. But what about the running technique overall? Yeah, running technique is a huge part, obviously, here from, from my work here. Um, there is... The perfect running technique when you like look at books and uh, see like okay what is anatomical right or physical right what what I should do my running and there are a few points there is like and eh, it's better when you do this uh, for example where to touch the ground running is nothing less than bringing your center of mass from A to B and when you touch in the, fr uh, the the ground in front of your center of mass you cannot pull the center of mass so you will slow down then uh, you will. Um, decelerate at that point until your your foot is under your or behind your center of mass and you can push off again. 
So this is, for example, something you yeah, nearly have to do or have to learn at that point. But at the end, um, there are a lot of different little variation you can like specific uh, or individualized for yourself uh, where you can self-decide, okay, this is a little bit more comfortable for me or um, there I getting a little bit more loose. So there's a, like a specific way and I'm also try to teach them. But when I see that a person extremely good at running or uh, is, is a good athlete and they have like a little bit of their own way, it's like a little bit off, like the, the textbook, as let's say that, um, I let them do this because at the end you have to be comfortable with what you're doing. Now you have to be comfortable with your body, with your running technique, and it's better to let them be comfortable at this certain matter because uh, then they are more loose. Uh, when you try to force something, you, you're getting tight, you may be cramping even. Um, when you're training hard and try to uh, really hard to uh, get something in your body which you're not like used to and you're not like really comfortable or lacking. Um, so a little bit individual, it's important, but a few points are like you have to do like after the textbook. Uh, we, have a, we have a young man here just about to turn 17 and getting closer to college. You know, he's done well academically, which is a major plus. And he started in what we call our systems, or our system. It's just an organized plan, all these um, coaches that we've worked with and the ideas that we've compiled. So he did really well in his, with his federation. You know, he was selected, and then he got to travel all over the world, and then he lost his technique. He you know, start the course, stay the course. With that, I tell young players, if the Power Five schools are calling you, and you're a top 10 in the recruit in the nation, or maybe just a little bit higher, we can work within your game. You know, certainly more of an art. I think college coaches have to do that by the time you get an 18-year-old. Okay, we have to work within your game instead of saying working with your game to, to make changes. Um, but also, too, I think filming running, you know, just to film people running. Um, let me ask this about you know, tennis. We say it's a marathon of sprints. I, I don't know much about what we call soccer, but I think of that also as a marathon of sprints. Watching Messi, I was pulling for Messi. I love to watch Messi highlights, and it seems like 50% of the time he's just walking. He's not running, but boy, when there's a, a chance, to, well, he's got to play defense, obviously, but it's a, that burst of energy. What about the term soccer legs? I mean, can you look at someone and tell, kind of guess what type of running they do, what type of, what type of sport they play? Yeah. You see soccer players very well because they, the toes are looking outside because they have the ball between the legs and have to move the ball. So they're more used to have the toes more outside uh, so they can run and play with the ball. Um, so this is, like for me, a little bit more easier to, to spot. Um, I also ask them most of the time, like, what type of sport you're doing next to them. Most, sometimes I'm like guessing and sometimes I'm right. But yeah, soccer players, most of the time you, you notice them. Uh, this this toes a little bit out uh, because of playing the ball. Other sports are obviously a little bit more difficult um, to see. Um, yeah, gymnasts, for example, they're ex extremely stiff. Uh, they have extremely used to be extremely straight. So when you have like an extremely stiff runner, you sometimes can guessing uh, maybe the gymnast for example but um, yeah so the soccer legs uh, these outward 
toes uh, for playing the ball. It's not uh, so hard to spot. Tennis players, certainly they're much stronger in their lower body than their upper body. Not that they you know, don't need to do all the flexibility and all the exercises to, to improve their upper body, but it's not, it's not a matter of bulking up with the upper body, correct, in yeah. tennis? Yeah, I don't need it. Like, like I said, uh, like a few minutes back, um, the tennis racket is light, the ball is light. You don't need a lot of muscle to move this. Huh? You don't have to bench 400 pounds. You just have to swing a 300 gram racket. Yeah, the, the speed of getting set and using the ground is the ground reaction for us. I like what the, um, the Spaniards say, 50% tennis, 50% fitness. And I told the parents, I said, well, initially, there's, when people come to see us, I mean, it's, it's great to have you here and have them be exposed to fitness and work on, work on fitness every day. But when people come to see us for a short period of time, the pie graph Technique, technique, technique. We're trying to teach them how to hit the ball. And many times they're just, just told, like, you need to go there and change your backhand. You need to go there and change your serve. With um, the breakdown, I do think that that's a mistake that we make in tennis, though, that we're not introducing mobility. I mean, the, the, it's mind, mecha mechanics, and mobility. We don't introduce that fast enough. I think another thing, too, is I like what you said about being loose, you know, a lot of people don't realize that right away we start playing mini tennis. You know, they're not trying to hit the ball hard. And, you know, that, that's one thing with mini tennis has been around forever. And I do think the, what they call rogie, the red ball, the orange dot, the green, and then the yellow, they're great training tools. But you can play tennis, you can play mini tennis with a regular ball and just say, don't hit the ball hard. Don't hit the ball hard. And, you know, if you use a ball that's worn out, it's certainly closer to the, the green dot ball. But then to incorporate mobility from the very beginning. You know, we, we do something that I think is obsolete, and obviously you've been watching us now. Second visit is static balance. We just stand in one place. With, But the pie graph for um, fitness, if you break it down into different sections, endurance, you know, flexibility, speed, strength, whatever the, the key words you put in an outline. Um, how do you choose how to break that practice down? You know, it's okay, you, you know you have a, I guess it's a case-by-case case on an individual basis, but so you're, you have a 30-minute training session with someone. How do you determine that lesson plan or that guideline for where you allot the, the time for specific targets? Yeah, 30 minutes. So endurance is not optical. Because for endurance, you maybe want to go a little longer for 40 or 45 minutes, for example, for a run. So um, it comes, uh, I would be more focusing on, on strength and uh, speed, for example. Now, for example, what I'm doing here, now we have this training, we have, get some come kids out of the training, then I have them for 20 minutes. We're doing a lot of um, uh, leg work, a lot of jumping exercises, leg stabilization, uh, especially those. Um, like I said before, um, most of the time you have to, especially younger kids, um, get the coordination and get the stabilization first. Uh, because when you cannot hold your knee above your toes and your knee is always collapsing in when you're doing little jumps, you don't have to do then strength training. 
Uh, or you don't have to do a lot of like putting weights on the back or in the hands and doing squats. You first have to train them. Okay, we have to stabilize your knee first, your leg first, um, so you not get injured yourself. Huh? When it comes to flexibility stretching, um, it's more an injury prevention tool, I think. Um, so uh, always doing stretching is. Uh, still extremely important obviously when it comes to injury prevention that's what's a huge factor you cannot train when you're injured uh, so you stay have to stay healthy you have to stay injury free um but this is always at the end of, of a training session or end of the end of the day um the first thing for example what i'm doing when i'm getting here a new kid now we have always getting kids in getting kids out is show me your squats show me your lunch And show me a specific little jump so I can see how stabilized you is, how good you're jumping. And um, these like ground basic exercises, squatting and lunges, nobody really teaching that. No. I ask him all players, okay, did you learn how to squat? And the most of the time they say no. Never teach them ever how to squat properly. And then it's at the end, it's like a few simple steps you have. Just to follow them, uh, shoulder weight stand. When you're going down, let your knee above your toes. When your toes looking outside, your knee has to look outside. And uh, get your back straight. Don't arch that too much. And um, uh, this is like the first thing I have to do then for uh, with the kids. Uh, teach them these this basic ground exercises before I can go on then with the training. And uh, when I see this and I see them run, then uh, I most of can then decide, okay, more leg stabilization or okay oh the leg is good so we can go further do a little bit more jumps now because you first has get more leg stabilization then you can go to jumps now again when you have no leg stabilization your knees always collapse and then you're doing jump you're putting too much stress on the knee on on for example the outside or the inside it depends where the knee is collapsing to and uh, so it's not very good then for the knee so it looks You know, a young tennis player, like a baby colt, a baby horse, where their their legs go out like this. When I was a young kid, my thing was hockey. That definitely was or is an explosive anaerobic sport. But my advice in the off-season was run, distance running, LSD, long, slow distances. I've also heard now all the over the years... Many, many things, but one way to measure an athlete is by how they jump, the potential. And actually, uh, in your country, Germany is becoming more and more of a powerhouse in hockey. And what they did, I think it was maybe 15 years ago, is they went to many, many uh, elementary schools where they had ice rinks and, okay, we can put a hockey program here and a hockey program here because obviously you need ice. And they went into the kid kindergartens, the German word, and they just tested kids for their jump ability. It's okay, we we're going to give these kids an opportunity. Really, really interesting. With Let's talk a little bit about uh, peer teaching, the 100 videos that you've made, and all the different drills that you do. Um, without mentioning names, you, do you think that you've worked with some students that we said, okay, do the Johan, do, do five of Johan's drills? How do you th would, you, would you have some candidates? Yeah, <laughs> nearly everybody. Oh, that's good. That's good. Because then with peer teaching is to watch. I know uh, we, uh, someone, if we go back to a couple of podcasts ago, Rami Baby, I'd like to have him 
you know, quit his job and come and be our CEO. I mean, I'm in the trenches and that, you know, for me to, I think what we've compiled requires a CEO, requires somebody to, okay, let's build an organization with what I do day in and day out. You need somebody with uh, major off-court skills. Actually, one of our students, um, Craig Tiley, I mean, he's a, the CEO of Tennis Australia. What, um, with a hundred videos, um, for kids to copy those at home, how, how long do you think, okay, watch this, you know, take five of those and do them. I mean, I'm sure it depends on the individual, but if it were tennis, we'd say, okay, you got to watch five of these and repeat, repeat, repeat. You got to do it over and over again. So the same principle. Yeah. Practice, practice, practice. So that leads us to motivation. I think one thing for yourself as a young coach it's very limited, but we have housing for, say, 10 players. So then you get to see players 24-7. And it's, you know, most of them are older. They're getting close to going to college. It's kind of like a halfway house. But the big thing is then they get away from their parents. And with motivation, but then that also turns into everything, no nutrition. I would, I would guess that, that has been, that's been a very powerful learning experience for you to be that it's almost like being a Beverly Hills trainer. You're, you're with your client 24 hours. You're watching what they have for breakfast, you know, water consumption, snacks. Um, what, are you, what are your thoughts on motivation? Because uh, I, I would say this, is that all those 100 videos are there. The players have been working with you. They know they're improving. They, they just can sense how, how powerful it is to work on, let's say, the speed drills you do. Um, but I, again, I don't be doom and gloom, but we, we have people that we've worked with that for, for like five years later. You know, have you read this book that we recommended? You know, you can just have your parents, you can get an audio copy of the book, listen to it in the car. No, no, no. It's almost like people don't know how to get better. You, I like the, the thought that you, you're the, you're not the coach, you're the compass. Here are the directions, follow directions. But why don't you talk a little bit about your observations with being around people 24 seven and the motivation Nowhere to hide. No, yeah. So in the beginning, you're energized. And all myself, I'm motivated. But um, when you're with the players 24 hours and you have to tell them every day the same uh, points, no? you always have to say, hey, get a better breakfast. And, and when you're going, for example, also to the grocery store and uh, seeing what the people are buying. No? And when they're a little bit younger now for no, under 18 and they don't have like, oh, I'm way enough for my mother and I have a bit of money so I can get all the, my favorite snacks in the cart. And I'm always then standing next to the cart like, no, cannot put this in the cart. You have to leave it out. No? So we can, when we go to the cashier, no? like going through the cart and taking always the, the good sugar snacks from them out. Um, at some point, sometimes a little bit tired, of course, I'm getting from this, no? when you always have to say the same stuff over and over again, hey, guys, come on, uh, um, get get healthy. But it's also uh, housing and living together no? when it comes to clean up, dirty dishes, etc. Now always staying on top of them. Um, that's obviously give them a certain motivation, let's say this, uh, when you're staying like on top of them, you're always telling them, always telling them, but like you said, now when they're going then off of this house, they, uh, uh, going back to 
where they're living you know, with the parents or living alone, a student dorm or whatever. Are they continuous with the, the, the exercises? Are you continue the, the nutrition you learn from me here? Uh, I'm not a nutritionist. I have like the basic knowledge, basic knowledge of, of nutrition. I don't not know everything and obviously... Uh, there's way more to learn of, of, of also for me but um, do you do it do it do it consistently but this is like the most important part when it comes to sport in any sport consistency uh, are you training are you still healthy tomorrow are you will do this a week from now are you doing this for a month from now are you doing this a year from now are you doing this a decade from now uh, this is the question this is the big question when you're doing this then you can becoming good then becoming professional Uh, yeah, no, so many make so many comments. Uh, one of the most difficult places to be professional is a college campus. It's Tuesday. We are going to celebrate Tuesday, and tomorrow's Wednesday. We are going to celebrate Wednesday. Uh, very quickly, the story of what we say the tennis house, and I really don't like to mention this, but um, 9 11, I had six months of accounts closed. At that, at that time, Groups would come from all over the U.S., Canada, overseas. We have a group of Swedes, a group of Germans coming in. and It was all six months of business canceled. So I, I purchased a property that would sleep um, 20 players. And we talked a little bit about that on the podcast. And with that, actually, my one of my brothers was working for Oneida Silver. and He's a vice president, and he lost his position. The company just collapsed. Airlines went from, um, they went to plastic utensils, so basically a knife, a fork, a spoon. Uh, he ended up being a VP, never had to move from his house, so it worked out for him. And I just, the reason I don't want to mention is that so many people lost their lives in 9-11. But what I have said is someone can be with us for two weeks in this, in this situation where they're living with us, and we know more about that kid than the club pros worked with him for two years. Um, you know, just with their motivation level when they get up. And I think also, too, for the parents, um, so many things, uh, so many great parents. But when a young kid is, you know, 12 years old and he asks, do I put the peanut butter on the bread when I put it in the toaster or do I put the peanut butter on the bread after it comes out of the toaster? And that's to say, Mom, Mom, you are doing everything for your kid. And the sooner they can be independent, the better. And I think also too, a lot of parents don't know how much they do for the kids. Also spouses were save, hopefully a couple stays married for years and years and years. And then one passes away from old age and the other, the, the re surviving spouse has, they have no idea what their partner did until afterwards. You know, they just kind of take things for granted. Uh, but it's like, you know, and also too, if the round is too much, then we become familiarity. The, the SAT, um, Does uh, familiar, familiarity breed contempt? You know, you, like the parents, they keep telling their kid, turn the lights off, pick up your dirty clothes. They tell them day after day. Of course, it's unconditional love and, and really great kids. They, they just have to be, keep being told the same thing. But I think with fitness, I think you really have to get out the measuring tape and the stopwatch. And then, and they, then they know. Then they have to have a personal best. What are your comments on that? The, the way to measure it, to log it? Yeah, Simple, extremely simple. Now, when you go to the uh, on the internet, there are a lot of different tests you can do. But at the end, um, when it comes to running, for example, know your five, ten, and fifteen meter time. 
ne? just sprinting. Ne? Say again, five and ten meters. Five, ten and fifteen. Five is like the most common, and fifteen is like when you're staying a little bit more behind the baseline and then to, to towards net. Like five, ten and fifteen. This is like then you know how explosive, how fast you can accelerate. You don't need 100 meter because uh, or top speed because the tennis court is way too short than to gain him top speed. And when it comes to track and field, you need around 50 to 60 meters to gain the maximum top speed. So you don't need the maximum top speed. You need ex uh, this explosivity, this acceleration. So measure this. Um, then get him uh, a tape out, put blazon on the ground, stand behind uh, at the end and then jump just normal forward broad jump uh, with two legs forward do it one leg also do it to the side uh, also important it's in tennis we have a lot of side movement uh, other uh, measurements you can do uh, on a track uh, everywhere there are tracks uh, you can find them just go google maps whatever and you will find uh, a track uh, for from from track and field no uh, 400 meter rounds Track your 40 meter round time, check your mile time. Uh, when you're getting a better mile time, you're obviously uh, improving endurance. And you can also go for 5K. I like uh, running, so 5K is also maybe a little bit interesting, but not completely necessary for tennis. Um, yeah, so this is, and when it comes to upper body strength, simple as that. Count your push ups, how many push ups you can do in a row, how many pull ups or chin ups you can do in a row. Uh, so such simple exercises you can do um, and what we for example also doing here sometimes is the beep test uh, this fourth and bad uh, it's always getting faster after a few beeps now you have to run faster fourth and back there are a lot of uh, different beep tests out there a lot of different you can do and at the end you can measure this and improve your endurance or you can see if you're improving there because you only can Uh, see your improvement or you can see your improvement easily when you measure something and uh, then you try it for six weeks and then you measure it again six weeks is like a good period of time where you have enough time to train and uh, get this this training loads into like gains for for your body there's a comedian um, i think i'm pronouncing his last name correct adam carolla the title of his book is everything reminds me of something And the legendary Jim Verdick flew into Tyler, Texas. He's going to train our students in 15 national championships without scholarships. Just, you know, Jim Lair said about Jim Verdick, and that's on some of our previous podcasts, where he came out of his mother's womb with a clipboard, a whistle, and baseball cap. He's the coach's coach. Uh, we interviewed his son during a movie, and I think every college coach should uh, have the same letter they hand out to incoming freshmen. So here's the story. I pick up Coach Verdick at the Tyler Airport, and right by the Tyler Junior College campus, there's a young boy, our original guinea pig, Clayton Stanley. And we go by Clayton's house, and it worked out that his tennis bag was in his mother's car. At the end of the driveway, they had built a beautiful backboard, cinder block, really high. And... You know, there's, I had no rackets with me and such and such. But what Coach Verick did is say, okay, and he just paced it off the distance from this tree to this tree. And, of course, the coach, you know, he's got a stopwatch with him. And 
you know, my, I think you might say my standard of coaching is going down. I mean, either I would have a stopwatch around my neck or um, one of the staff members would. And you actually hit that stopwatch during a water break, you know, during a ball pickup, like go, go, go. Because so much time is wasted. But what, what Verdict did is basically said, okay, measure it from this tree to this tree. And then, you know, and it was the short distances that you're talking about. And then the thing was, is that uh, Clayton had a driveway that has, had just a slight, I mean, it, was a, it wasn't a hill, but it was an incline. And he said, you know, this is fantastic. You know, you need to be running up this forwards, backwards, side to side, the, the Scandinavian, the, the farlic running where you mix up all these different runs. But when kids go home and that's where we become doom and gloom and the bad guy, they come back or we, we even suggest the parents to call us. And then when they call up, I go, have you done this? And it's, they don't follow directions. You know, we were just the compass. We told you what to do. And it's your dream. You know, accomplishing your dreams is a nightmare of work. With weight training, um, you know, I think you can even do it with a broomstick and teach technique. How old, and it varies, obviously, you know, where someone is in the pubescent stages, their maturity, physically. What about weight training for, for tennis? Important. Obviously important. You can do a lot of weight training, um, especially explosive movement. And again, tennis is extremely explosive, so you need uh, also to train this, and you can do a lot of explosive movement. Um, one of the top movements out there is at the ending, the cleaning and the snatch from weightlifting. This is extremely technique uh, exercise, but you, you know, can start with a broomstick. Uh, I don't know, with 13, 14, you can start with a broomstick, try to get these technique uh, right to get this certain uh, movements you have during this, this exercise in. And uh, when you're getting 17 and you start yeah, lifting weights a little bit more, then you can do the exercise. So extremely important. Again, not too much. Uh, you don't have to, we have one kid here um, who could deadlift 400 pounds. And this is like when I say, okay, I know you too much. It's too much. Uh, you don't need to lift this amount, and, or this amount of weights. It's, it's too much. It's not like very functional for tennis at the end. But um, it gives you, you need a little bit of strength because maximum strength indicates also a higher uh, speed strength. No? So this is like a parameter for it. So you need a little bit of maximum strength to hit at the end the ball faster or to move faster to gain speed. Um, but only to a certain level to, to be functional. And again, tennis matches long. When you have bigger muscles because you lift lots of weights, you have to carry them around. Uh, muscle to have muscle will cost you energy because you have to move them around. So they also can maybe slow you down or can be negative on, on your endurance because you, know, you have suddenly carry around more, more pounds on your body. Um, so yeah, important, but only to a certain level. The FM performance center, it's a seven minute walk. You can see it out the window. Unfortunately, there's a, canal you, so you have to take the sidewalk and walk around you never have, never have to get off the sidewalk and same distance away is a park with 65 acres running trails all sorts of exercise apparatus but we have two we have basically four car garage 
which is okay. That's a pretty nice house, but it's, you know, two townhouses side by side, right next to each other. And it seems to me that the only time that people are in the gym is when you're there with, I love how you're, you know, I've had that problem for years. All the weights have to be off the, off the bar. So you have the bench press because teenage boys are going to be on their, even be on their own and they could hurt themselves. So I will see how much can I bench? It's not, can I do it right? Can I gradually, gradually build that up? With, um, yeah, rules for the gym. With, I mean, I know that children will use academics as an excuse. And so anyway, we have two gyms and it's like, okay, go do 10 minutes of this. You know, and certainly we're telling people constantly get in front of a mirror and what do you need to change on your back end? What do you need to change on your in, and every day get in front of a mirror. And there's only, only so much time, but if it's just, okay, just do that for three to five minutes. It's, it goes, they just, they need to monitor how much time they lose with social media, just on screen time. With um, the park, you know, we, I love the park because it has 16 three-wall racquetball and go do extra reps on the backboard. But I, I would say that it, Almost no one does any extras. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, nearly. Um, they're thinking five hours of training. No, this is like the amount of time we have here is enough for training. Obviously, you can do a lot of uh, still in your army doing. For example, now after every morning practice, I gather the kids. They're living here at the houses. Let's go to the garage. We do another core work of just simple planks. Uh, the old gold uh, plank, uh, front plank, side planks, uh, We're doing that nearly every day. I try to do that every day and afterwards uh, a little bit of stretching together with them. Um, yeah. You also, yeah, we have uh, one player here to say him run every day, three miles in the morning, three miles in the evening. You came up with the idea. Um, he did it. He's still doing it. He, he wrote, I um, asked him uh, over the phone. He, he answered me like, yeah, I'm still doing it. It's uh, no routine for him. So, This is like one of the boy, but at the end we told him to do it. Not he came not up with the idea on his own. We told him to do it, um, and this is also a thing that a lot of players have here. They're willing to do the exercises, the work, but only when we are telling them to do the exercises. Um, they're not coming up with their own idea. They're not coming up. Yeah, okay, we trained now here, but I want to lift a little bit more weights. Then I ask me like, yeah, okay, can we? can I have another session? Uh, can you come with me? Can you teach me this or this? Or can we go from this barely happens to never. So yeah, at the end you have to train a lot of your in your own, you get your own motivation um, to gain better. What I was uh, telling a few students when I went back, um, when you're waking up in your bed and you're thinking about, uh, Do I go on a full run or sleep in? Think about it. Somewhere out there is a kid, your same age, playing tennis, going out of bed and go for this run. And he will beat you because he went for this, this specific only run. He will be then this slightly better than you because he went for this run on his own instead of sleeping this half an hour you needed for this run more in. No, if you got to hit the floor, you got to get up. I mean, if you snooze, you lose. I mean, if your alarm clock, and now, um, now they don't have alarm clock. I used to tell people pick up, you know, take that piece of plastic off that's on top for the snooze alarm, 
and just get up and go. With, yeah, I'll tell you another story. My son Connor, when he was younger, I wanted to have this the same message from a different messenger. So Dave Anderson, you know, we worked and he was a student and a student assistant. And then he ran one club and two clubs. It was like the next town over. So he had autonomy, but we, we really worked together. And then we spent a year in Florida, give or take, um, it might have been a little bit, a little, little bit longer than that, but with uh, Jody Johnson, we need to have him on a, as a guest. When I think of Jody Johnson, I think of the word ignition. You would just say that kid's got no ignition, meaning that you you turn the key and it, that there's no spark. The, the engine doesn't go on, so you can't drive. The car doesn't go anywhere. And he had a true Rocky Balboa gym in Tampa. He had pro athletes, I mean, NF, NFL athletes. And it was a cool place. It was not fancy at all. Usually the, the fancier, the better. Like, say, FM Sports Center, I mean, they have, you know, so many professionals and one of the departments is physical therapists and uh, the place is just beautiful. And, you know, some of the players say, can we go to FM and do this? I said, well, what do you want to do? Oh, I work with some dumbbells. Well, no, you can go to the garage. You can go to the Rocky Balboa gym. But anyway, my son Connor, it was just a point in time, and we have someone now who reminds me of Connor when he was younger. He, he came to our place and we had him riding a bicycle on a field hour after hour. And he just had to burn the body, at that time, burn the baby fat. And now, now he's being recruited by all these top schools. I mean, really top schools. So Connor went and he had his body, ta- body fat, his percentage of body fat. And there's certainly many, many different ways to do it. I remember myself going through a course, a fitness course, a nutrition course at a grad level where it was underwater weighing. But he came back and his body, his percentage of body fat went up. And I told Anderson, I said, it didn't work. I said, as soon as he got back from Dallas, I took him right to Jody Johnson's gym. And, you know, he got worse. Uh, maybe he hit a lot of balls and this and that. And the technique was certainly reinforced because of the same system. But he went back, and then when he, when he came back to the, the, after the second visit, you know, he might go, it might have gone for like four weeks, five weeks at a clip. And we came back the second time, he got off the airplane, people didn't know who he was. Because you have to burn body fat, you have to, you have to do that. You, you have to change your metabolic rate. So what Anderson did, and I know a lot of tennis stories that are like this, where he drove into the facility in the morning, Connor had to get out. And he's going to get out, run in. You know, he's just running through the residential section. And then we went back to his house in the evening, same thing. Because he, he was privileged to stay with Anderson, which is, it's a totally different experience for someone to stay with us. We have people, which is fine. They come here with their families. And that's very powerful. But it still is really part-time training versus actually being, you know, with us 24-7. You know, and you learn learn from each other. But um, yeah, we have a setup where, you know, people get up and they just have to turn to the right and they basically jog a mile to practice. And the word jog, they really, I like um, Bill Ayers' book, Amazing Racers, is at least have your head in front of your feet. You know, you're not just plodding, running flat-footed. Um, I've heard it said where you're running backwards, you're using accelerators, running, you're jogging forward. Like people my age are better off to walk than jog their joints and whatever. Um, but yeah, to burn the body fat and, and you have to do that for 
you know, sometimes they say three months. And this one player, I, mean, I know uh, your English is outstanding, and you just said he runs like a tank. And, yeah. you know, um, maybe this is PG-13. We're trying to be very clean on our podcast. And if I told a teenage boy one time, um, I said, it's not going to work. You know, you're looking at the girls, but they're not going to look at you. You know, the muscle beach type thing. And say, no, you've got man boobs. You know, you can't have man boobs. You've, you've got to get fit. You know, something like that to tell a kid one-on-one. But um, it's so easy to be lazy. And it, I love how lose begins with L, lazy begins with L. Work and win both begin with W. You know, just going to bed early. Um, you know, it's great to talk to Ram. It reminds me, reminds me of uh, experience in Germany where we were telling the when kids go to bed in these sleepover camps where they sleep on a tennis court, they, 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 they don't, you know, and you've really helped with the, with the organization of the house, houses, but they sleep with their phone. The, the best thing to do for a young kid, and this ties in with fitness, they don't need their phone once they come home, is put it on the kitchen counter. The parents know what it is, where it is. They should not have that phone. They should only really, and most kids, they would be much better off with a flip phone. They just need to call their parents up or text and say, you know, if you could pick me up 30 minutes earlier or 30 minutes later. But it's, it's really a thief of time. You know, that old thing that you, you get out where you put in. With um, being a, a triathlete, um, let's talk about swimming for a little bit. I've always been told that swimming, you need to do at the end of the day. Because it's uh, it, it, you don't realize that especially if kids just get in the pool and they're splashing around, they're not really swimming like a swimmer. You know, they're, they're in the water and they swim a little bit, but it's kind of a, just a relaxation period to be in the water, but that you really, your muscles become very loose and, and you're more fatigued than you actually f- feel like you are. What is that? Is you think that's true that they shouldn't swim until the end of the day? Yes and no. So when it comes to swimming, you have extremely limited times because you need the pool. Uh, obviously running kind of every time everywhere but uh, for swimming you need a pool so most of the time or the most trainings group are like bound to to open pools or the, the times at the pools and they're obviously not the only ones that you want to use the pool so they have specific time slots um the more fatigue in when it comes to swimming is uh, about uh, the the heat the body has to produce more because when you're in the water you're losing the core, uh, the the body temperature faster when you're at the air and this is, for example, the the uh, thing you're feeling when you go for a swim that is way more intense and soak way more energy out of your body because you just have to come up with this, this body heat you know, to keep this core body temperature up. Um, in my case, when I was, for example, back in Leipzig, I wear the national team for for teenagers uh, for for Leipzig, also from from um, Saxon Saxony. So the state national team, um, they had the, the, the swim practice, for example, in seven in the morning mm-hmm. before school. Uh, they had went also to to a special school, uh, to a sports school when they, so they had school at, I think, 9.30. So they can train from seven until nine in the water. So they had the swim training uh, in, the, in the morning. So say like, okay, you have to do it in the, in the evening or um, uh, uh, at the end of the day, it's not, hundred percent you have to watch where when you have in my case for example i went to club with a lot of adults and they don't have just time at the day 
So um, most of the time they have uh, swim training in the evening. So the adults, they're working all day long. They can participate in, in the training. So we have to practice it in the evening. Here's a story for you. Richard and Anna has been a guest on our podcast. He, he certainly um, talks to his longtime friend, Carl Hale. So he, he's the one who gives Carl a hard time on a regular basis. I have to chime in once in a while. But he, uh, for years, and he's he's a man's man. Everybody likes Carl Hale. So he's been the director of the Canadian Open for years and years. So he's, you know, very good friends with Federer, very good friends with Nadal. And they're both going to get a chance to meet Sidney Crosby. You know, he's one of the best hockey players of all time. And it's well, one side part of the story is Crosby shows up with two hockey sticks and he wants to train a hockey, wants to trade a hockey stick for a racket. Of course, the Canadian Open is right before the U.S. Open. And both Federer and Nadal said, well, I'll have a racket shipped to you. They, they didn't want to give away a racket to him. But what, what happened was he was supposed to spend like the morning with Federer and the afternoon with Nadal or vice versa, but it rained the entire day. And they got together and, you know, at those players' lounges, they have really, really quality food. But, you know, they were there for lunch and dinner and they talked about fitness, you know, like say eight hours and they just, just, you know, just kept, you know, I do this, I do this. And I mean, it's changed so much in, 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 in ice hockey, what, what the players do, what the players do before practice, after practice. Um, I like to tell young kids in competitive sports, they don't need pep talks where, um, in ice hockey, unless you're a superstar like a Sidney Crosby, you, the the contracts of you just move one decimal. So you're making, and people make more money than this. And now it's hard to believe. But a hockey player years ago, they're making eight hundred thousand for being in the NHL, and they're sent to the minors. They just make eighty thousand. They just just move the decimal one way, and their their parents could relate to that, but but kids can relate to that. I think that's an, another thing too in, in my world is that they don't talk about tennis. You know, young junior tennis players are really not talking about tennis. Maybe they're talking about their UTR. Did they win or did they lose? But, hey, what are you working on? You know, or sit at a tournament and go, what do you think of that player's game? What do you think of that player's forehand with backhand? It's more like, you know, can we go to Smoothie King? I mean, it's like, this, these are your, the people you're competing against. Um, what about athletes that you've been around? Are they talking about fitness, like how to get a competitive edge? No, 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 not really. Um, nearly the same, like like you're telling now. They, for example, when you come to to triathlete and the, this the national state team from Saxony, they um, messing obviously around a lot. No? Like all the kids are doing, and um, it's most of the time about like how fast uh, you can run the five k or how fast I uh, which rank you did in the. Um, last race whatever what um but i was what i was like you mentioned before um the kids here they learned how to charge a match and i'm always asking then when the people uh when when the players is playing a match do you look at the charge did you ask the other players can i get my chart from my match and most of the time they say no and i'm wondering because it's like this is the perfect opportunity to see okay, at which stroke I had the most unforced error. So I can try to uh, 
relive this, this game no? what you for example also uh, recommend uh, how to do no? sit down close your eyes try to relive uh, certain matches and with this, this chart you can do this easily and you can see okay which point or which stroke I had the most struggle with no? uh, and um, this is something nobody's doing here and I'm thinking like yeah, it's like a waste of opportunity you know? um, to, to use this um, And yeah, again, to, to talk about it, you always, for example, force this a little bit now on the way back in the car. Okay, you say something about this game. You say something about this game. You say and uh, I think that's, for example, an amazing thing uh, to hear not from your coach certain things. Because when uh, what I learned, I also felt obviously a little bit on my own. When the coach is telling you over and over the same thing again, at one point you don't want to listen anymore. It goes not even in the year. It's like fly by the year. Uh, and they not recognize it. They know will uh, listen to you. And then another person, another player, which is like a friend standing next to you saying the same, uh, like the coach, they um, yeah take it in, in a different way. So they should be, but they're not doing. And luckily they have you to force them a little bit to it. Yeah. No, I think make the car a classroom. I do tell parents that, that that can be scary, that can be dangerous, because how much do you really know about tennis? I tell parents, and, and Bill, Bill Jacobson, who put CompuTennis together in 1982, was, he's a brilliant man, and his son was you know, fighting to make the lineup at Stanford. So if you could play six at Stanford, in my world, okay, you're a solid tennis player. He said, well, my son wasn't listening to me. Just, just to put it in black and white. You know, now I've been told where... And this has been on the podcast where people, the kids don't want to look at numbers. They don't want to look at a printout. But if you just show them visually, you tag, okay, you, you missed 22 forehands over a course of two sets. And, you know, there's only 100 points play. You know, same mistake, same mistake, same mistake. Um, but, yeah, to have interventions to sit around, I think it's better not in the classroom because when you're in the classroom, you, um, it's, you know, You can put the chairs in a circle and, okay, let's, let's have a little powwow here. You know, I think it's so important how you say to someone, say something to someone. Um, we have a group of juniors that are 15 to 17 years old that are here on a very regular basis. And I'm very confident that we could take on the best tennis, best college tennis team in the country in the mile. That's sad. I mean, Because most college coaches, it's whether well, the kids, our kids just have to run a 530. Now, Chuck Creasy, who we've had on, and he's really big into running, but he trained with Hopman. And, you know, I think, you know, some coaches will take shots, but I think they're wrong, wrong, wrong to do that. Say, so, well, you play for Creasy, it's like you train, like run, run cross country. But no, it, I tell people, if you don't like to run, take up golf. I mean, you have to be able to run. Right. And, um, you know, I know that we are in the U.S. a car society. You know, I've had I've sent so many players to Europe, and they just know uh, take your take your running shoes with you. My son Connor was in Sweden, and there's this place Vexhaw. Um, reinforcement. I think some of these stories are repeated, but you know, they have a lake that's three miles around it, and he, and he was complaining at times where some at the end of the day, sometimes they run around that lake three times. They get there in the morning, go, oh, we're not quite organized. Uh, courts are a little damp, whatever. They go run around the lake and finally get back, we'll get started. But they just go do it. It's nothing. It's just, 
you know, just an easy 20 minute run, miles on the legs. And I think also too, is that tennis parents need to realize that, especially here in the US where you get so hot and humid, that your kid, and that's one thing that is a positive about the, the 10 point tiebreaker. In the summer humidity here in Florida, if you have to play two matches, I mean, it, it, you know, each match could be, you know, well over two hours each. And at the end of the day, then less and less they're putting singles in the match, or I should say doubles in the format. But with, um, you know, like today I, I told young guy, I was talking to him, I said, you're, he's playing against a really good girl. I said, I said, you're a great kid, she's a great kid. The difference is she thinks she's good and you don't think you're good. And, you know, that is a, a, one thing about technical teaching. You keep telling people, well, you're doing this wrong and this wrong and this wrong. What about fitness? Do you take confidence away from someone when you get the stopwatch and they find out how bad they are? Yeah, obviously. Uh, it's always not nice to hear how bad you actually are. Now, when you have, like, the third feeling, okay, I'm not the fastest here in the training group, and then you're stopping in time, and then you, for example have uh, a session where you have this interval over and over again you just tell them every inter uh, after every interval the time is dropping down 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 and further down it's uh, yeah for some a little bit frustrating also obviously yeah now parents are uh, listening the excitement i get i get text messages and emails you know someone made the main draw at this tournament or their federation has selected them to go to europe i mean just here recently You know, we're working with a dozen kids, and then four of them have that, you know, they would fall in that category. And, you know, that's not something to be excited about. What you need to be excited about is what they're not excited about. I mean, it's a big deal for a boy, to me, to break a five-minute mile. You know, it's not easy to break a five-minute mile. And you have to work at it. Most tennis players, on, you know, they don't, they're not going to do it as easily as a runner because a runner starts to learn They, they just know what their pace is. You know, they're not going to go out fast. They just, they just, you know, they're, they become in tune with a stopwatch and running. But, you know, I think a lot of people will just say, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. And, you know, tennis is a lot of stops and starts. And I think one thing that we need to touch upon, if people are listening, they might think that we're just talking about running in a straight line. Why don't you, why don't you talk about agility work and, and how you mix up, uh, You know, we would call it the zigs and the zags and up and back. And, you know, you do so many things on changing direction. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. The, for example, the, the, the warm-up I'm doing every day here um, is a lot of running, ABC running coordination exercise uh, to teach them or, no, to get first the coordination in. No, coordination works always good as a warm-up. No, the brain is fresh. You can... Um, get it better through the muscles and um, also then uh, uh, the end or more to the end now for most of the um, exercises from the ABC is more forward movement uh, because running is forward not sideways um, and at the end now we always make sure in some some side exercises uh, to also warm obviously uh, those muscles up and um, to get the joints ready for the side movements then they're coming um, when they then coming to to my part of uh, of the training session, uh, of course they are next to the backboards. Um, we're doing a lot, a lot of side movement, side jumping, holding yourself, jump first to the side, then holding, or up, then to the side, then holding. 
Um, obviously, we're doing there this a lot. Now, stabilize your leg, stabilize your knee. Try to get this explosivity and starting off short sprints right left. So, a lot of work, a lot of time is going into this work and um, try to uh, we try to then improve the the kids. Um, yeah. So, one thing on other sports, one thing that comes up with other sports is the prevention of injury. The people that have played other sports with, but again, reinforcement. And we had a meeting on our podcast and a coach that is, loves tennis and he's here visiting. He's been visiting for 15 years, maybe more. He's very creative. He's an inventor. He loves new things. And I think that's very important, you know, to have a, to add to practice, do some fun things. And, and certainly, um, you know, we have, uh, you know, so many different ways to approach a practice but with that, you know, the term new information came up. Yeah, you want to seek new information, but really in the end, uh, there's no um, secret sauce. Just just same thing with hitting a forehand and backhand. You know, you just you just need basics. You don't need anything fancy. But with uh, you know, fitness, we touched upon that. It's not like you need the fancy gym. But with the prevention of injury, you know, prehab versus rehab. You know, that's where if people did the prehab, they wouldn't have to do the rehab. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? What all the things that have to go in prior to that? Yep. So, um, obviously it's better. Don't have the injury than have the injury and go to rehab because they're losing a lot of time. Now, especially when you have something complicated around the ankle or the knee, uh, some, uh, tenders or, or bands are ripping apart or whatever. And so, at the worst case, you're losing half to a year of practice uh, completely. Um, so obviously, prevention is way more important than, than um, rehab. Um, to prevent something, uh, it's rather simpler. Again, uh, like I told before, stabilization uh, muscles um, extremely important uh, to for 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 the pre for the prevention. Um, also, like this is the strength training and then the the stretching training. To, for for prevention training, um, what we're doing here uh, at my now all these stabilization things, f especially for the um, ankle, uh, getting bulletproof ankle, um, so they don't injure themselves there. Um, a lot of times uh, going into this this uh, prevention training, um, you can solve this over a lot of small little jumps and a little bit of side movement. Um, to to yeah, get the strength in to strengthen uh, uh, the muscles around this. Um, for example, when it comes to stabilization, you have to go to the smaller, deeper lying muscles, not the big, huge muscles you see on the outside. Now, and to train this smaller muscle, you have to uh, get off this weight and only doing something around 20 to 30 percent of your maximum strength because only then the small muscles are working when you're going higher uh, than this 30 percent of your maximum strength the bigger muscles will take over the uh, the work and will then uh, work for the smaller muscles um, at the end you, know, you have to think about the the body is or the, uh, is lazy 
they don't want the bodies want don't want to work they want to lay down and do nothing so there's extremely economically when it comes to energy so when you're only needing like 20 percent of your maximum strength the body will use only the small muscles because they're uh they're enough to now move around or to do this exercise and the body don't have to do the bigger muscle has to use the bigger muscles and can save those over those energy so to work on the stabilization to work on a prehab you have to take off weights or take less weights and or only body weight and work with this a lot to get this prevention in yeah so many things uh i tell kids all the time it's unfortunately we're at the top of the food chain you know, all you have to do is go see oh see the bushes over there the way it works is eat or be eaten uh, i think going to kruger park in south africa with um, being at the top of the food chain. So we were lazy, you know, so like say the lion or the lions, they've had their kill. And they're, they're just lounging around. They're just, they're, they're good. They're not, they're not looking to go for a stroll. Uh, they've eaten, they're taken care of. With uh, 24 hours, muscle deteriorates in 24 hours. So um, it, and that's not really a fair equation. I always tell people it takes about six weeks, you know, say like myself as an adult, it's going to take about six weeks to, start to get in a little bit of shape and you get out of shape in one week. It's just not a fair system. Like coming back to the, um, you know, hungry dog hunts best. You know, you put that scrap meat on the, in the street and the two dogs come out and like, who wants it the most? Most kids are really in the end. They're not really hungry to get fit and they're not really hungry to hit the ball better. They're you know, okay. Fair enough. They're hungry to win. They're hungry to, oh, I want to, I want to lift the trophy, but everything that goes into that, um, you being from Germany, the way the tax system is, I've called a few Germans over the years, hypochondriacs, which means you're always injured. I do think that if there's a trainer around all the time, if mom's there, or dad's there all the time, um, I think a lot of times people cry injury. Well, you know, if you're in, you're in the jungle and you're being chased, you can't turn around and go, I, I pulled my groin. I'm going to sit this one out. So what are your thoughts? I, I know that kids use academics. You know, you, okay, there's only three numbers with college tennis, your SAT and GPA. That's two that are academic, and one is your UTR. But on the, on the fitness side, what are your thoughts on people using injuries as an excuse? Yeah, they're doing it, obviously, 100%. Um, not all of them. No. Some of them are also, like, most of the time, the, the quiet kids and when they don't um, uh, talk too much, now they have a lot of a few issues, and then you have to be a little bit more careful. Um, and when they don't uh, talk openly about their uh, their injuries or when they're hurting a muscle or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, you also have these more extroverted, more talkative, active kids. Now always like eh, no. Nah. My knee's a little bit hurting, and then you're like, ah, I see it really telling the truth. It's just, you obviously has no, when someone is injured, you have to be careful, obviously. No? You have to try not to do certain exercises, get the injury rest, uh, get get back. So no, you don't want to train with an injury or train on an injury to uh, get it harder, uh, get it even worse, and um, take longer to recovery. But um, at the end, no, like I said uh, before, 
when you work along with, uh, with the athletes together and you get to know the athletes and you know exactly okay how much is he telling now the truth how much he how good is his own body feeling uh, also extremely important now uh, how how good i can feel my own body how good i can understand the signals my body is sending me uh, when i have an injury if they're uh, do i have to know to listen to them or this is okay can i train And um, you better, or more time you spend in the athletes, you more you better can read them, and through that you can better like think about okay how much work we can put in. I'm always a little bit careful when it comes to uh, injuries. Again, uh, don't train on it, um, but uh, there are always exercises you can do. Um, always with are the park. Um, I know when I was a kid, you had to take PE classes. And I think everyone should go to YouTube and put in JFK, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, our former president in the 60s. Um, the late John Fitzgerald, he had a fitness program. And it's amazing. High school senior boys had to carry someone a mile that was within 10 pounds up or down of their weight. You know, just piggyback, carry some someone. And the fitness testing was very basic, but it was, it was just amazing. Back in those days, people were eating Wonder Bread, white bread. Supposedly the rats wouldn't eat the white bread and Hostess cupcakes and drinking Coca-Colas and drinking water out of a, a garden hose or better yet, I mean, a team would go to a bucket and it's like for a soup ladle to take water out of the bucket. And it's, you know, now people are showing up and asking me, uh, I brought two bottles of coconut water, Coach. Uh, would you like one? Coconut water. Uh, with, yeah, I just, again, coming back to just, you know, in some ways things are too easy. Now, one thing with practice, but also then with tournaments, one thing that is a plague is kids pulling out of tournaments. They know in the back draw they're going to perhaps play someone with a lower UTR. And... And you have to play consolation. And I think parents listening should know if a college coach is worth their weight in salt, they're going to look up a kid's record and see how many times have they pulled out of a tournament. And then when you think about Roger Federer, I believe, I have to go with our fact checker, Andres Barbosa. Um, I'll have to say this from, uh, a, I was told a Colombian saying, uh, his mother is Colombian, do you push the horse? It's easier to pull the horse than push the horse. But with that, as the kids are pulling out of back draws, like left and right, and you know, kids, they're flying in, they're checking, parents are checking into a hotel, they're renting a car, the expenses are astronomical. You know, that gets off into, it wouldn't it be really great if in, in this country or other countries, the governing body would just rent a college campus or part of a college campus as It's not, not to run a camp and say, okay, we're going to have this storm for boys, this storm for girls, and they're just going to play matches and parents stay home. And they just play so many matches. And the match count goes way up. And, and you know, and, and, and again, it's matches. You know, how many matches did you play? Did you play this person? Did you win? Did you lose? And it doesn't have to be geared towards who's going to win that two-inch trophy, who's, you know, who's going to win the, the the national, you know, say 12s, uh, um, You know, all you have to do is do the homework. Um, like Michael Chang became a fantastic tennis player, won the French Open at 17. And his, his game style versus a Pete Sampras. 
you know, to develop, um, I want to come back to jumping, to develop that all-court game. Um, you know, you're playing a lesser player, Jimmy Connors, play where the pressure is. Yeah, you could lose to a lower-ranked player, but play, play where the pressure is. You know, I told a young girl today, I told her parents, they, all day long, um, actually in the second session, not all day long, the second session, you know, in the first session we filmed a match, she played an older player coming from Pete Sampras's book. She, she didn't choke, she froze. I mean, she couldn't play. She was threatened. You're either the ego, you're either Jim Lair's circle of competition and in the center, are you challenged or are you threatened? And I, in the afternoon, she was playing older players and playing sometimes just boys. She played great. Oh, certainly she was making mistakes, but she played free like she had nothing to lose. But here's something that people lose out all the time is that they don't play an approach out with the idea they want to play a volley because what they have to do to play a volley is they got to bend. One, they have to have the technique. And the complications are overwhelming. They, they don't have the instincts. They haven't done it. They've avoided it. So they don't, they don't even have the skill, to the recognition skills to read the passing shot. And then the savvy, okay, I've got to play a deep volley. I just have to make one volley. Make one volley deep and then do the math on the, the following shot. But I always tell people, well, to hit an overhead, you got to bend and you got to jump. Well, the synapse doesn't fire very fast. It's a, and this is how it goes. It's a lob. Yes, it's a lob. And we know that that ball's floating in the distance. It's like an airplane further away. And it, oh, it looks like it's, it's going much slower. But in your country where everybody's riding trains, you're, you're at the train station. It looks like the train's going so fast, but it's not going to fit the train. Even a bullet train is not going as fast as an airplane. But the movement in tennis, you know, certainly it is so much side to side, but what about the up and back? What about the bending? What about the jumping? Yeah, obviously, you know, extremely important. Um, the higher to jump, the higher you can touch, uh, uh, hit the ball, the better your angle is towards uh, the net and uh, the opposite side. Um, now, like I mentioned before, we're training that a lot, you know, jumping, split stepping. Um, obviously, the moving forward movement so this sprinting forward movement um we have this a lot here uh, oh i train this a lot now also in the morning or uh, uh, in the warm-up with all the coordination exercises there was always explosivity in doing it forwardly so now uh, to to train just to get this in yeah with uh coming back to the park and climbing the ropes I can remember this wrestling coach, uh, he didn't like the hockey players. Oh, we were supposed to be rough and tough and we had to go up and down these ropes. And it was so tough for all of us to do it, where the wrestlers just up and down. So visiting family, a little five and a half year old girl goes over and she's just in gymnastic classes. She goes up and down the ropes. And then a group of us go over, I just give her some confidence, wanted her to demonstrate for the group. Uh, fun, fun field trip, it's, I mean, a football throw away from where we are. And then um, it was her father, 40 years old. He, he showed a technique to do it as a gymnast where you're, I think you mentioned this, you, exactly, you, you said, okay, this is how you want to do it. Have your legs straight and they just go up where you, so obviously completely different way to go up and much, much more difficult. And so anyway, the dad, 40 years old, he goes up the rope the way that you demonstrated it. Now I would think, um, you know, If I was a kid, I'd make a mental note of that. You know, I'm, I'm not even 20, he's 40, he's not training, he's going to work every day, and he goes up and down the rope. And then we asked him, you know, hey, were you training, doing this, doing this? No, 
but it is like riding a bike. If someone becomes really skilled with their strokes, they have just clean strokes. There's an expression that the brain brings you back to where you left off. So someone stops playing and they come back, you know, 10 years um, with, uh, yeah, but that, that park and going around using the apparatus, um, you know, it's like, okay, I have, we had two girls here from another country and I said, why don't you do this? When you get to practice, go over there and just try to go up the rope. And then when you leave, cause they were running both ways. And they, again, I've come across so pessimistic. They tried it twice. Try it twice. I think most people like to do what they're good at. You know, the baseliners like to bang balls from the baseline. If someone doesn't have very good ground strokes, right away they're up at the net. This is very interesting. With, um, I think there's a lot of tennis players that I've worked with that they like lifting weights, but they don't like running. Why are you commenting on that? Yeah, obviously, waiting, lifting weights is, uh, I know it is way more fun. Going on a run, it's come. Can can come become boring now when you're out there with your own thoughts, especially when you're an athlete from me. I'm forbidding to take, for example, music on a run. Say that again. Don't listen to music when you're on a run. Leave your phone with, if you can, leave your phone at home. Just go for a run. And when you're like, oh, no, I have to track my time, go on Google Maps. Then you know how long this is. Then look at the watch uh, in the kitchen, run, come back, look at the watch again. Then you know the time, you know the miles, you know how fast you were. Simple as that. Um, leave leave the phone, leave the music at home. Use running, for, also for me, uh, use running to organize your thoughts, to organize, to think about everything that's going on in the moment in your life, what you're planning on uh, doing next, or try to concentrate on your technique when you like want to go for, for a technique run. Oh, okay, this time I want to focus on my arms. Uh, and every like half a mile you will do this, okay, and I'll concentrate on my arms. And always tell them, uh, my athletes, don't concentrate all the, all the time on it. No, just do it like an interval because when you do it all the time, again, you're getting more tired. Now you try to force you into something that is not good. At the end, uh, running is something extremely natural from us. Now we're like, Humans are nearly born to run. We're so amazing runners. We run a marathon faster than a horse at the end. Uh, and um, so concentrate, for example, half a mile. Oh, concentrate on my And then think about something else. What I'm going for eat. What is my next holiday? Do I have to go the next grocery shopping? Okay, what is on my list? Or um, uh, tomorrow there's an exam. Did I learn enough? Okay, I go through all the topics, whatever. When you go for a run, use that to refocus yourself, think about your life, or let just the, the thoughts floating and leave the music at home. I know, uh, again, it can to be extremely boring no? when, you go, when you're out there and you're in your pace and you just run and you think... Uh, Lightlifting is more exciting. You can listen to music. You can gather fast, better around with friends. And especially when it comes uh, to boys uh, or men, uh, this manly, I gain muscle here and my biceps get bigger uh, and look better in the mirror. Yeah, it's something nice. But in the end, the run is helping you, uh, especially tennis, like I mentioned at the beginning. Endurance is like the most important part in my uh, eyes when it comes to fitness from tennis um this run is so damn important you have to do this you, know? you have to improve your endurance 
and um, you cannot only do the exercises that you like now like you mentioned before now you have to go to the net you have to be aggressive you cannot only play the this game you like you know only hitting from the uh, from from the ground line the ground strokes yes to get variation in and um the same is uh, coming to training not only lifting weights you have to go for this round and also uh for me on my own this run like this uh, thinking about everything is extremely for my health mental health extremely important uh, to organize me again uh, coming off or also taking off from all this uh, screen time you have nowadays now you you're working you're sitting in front of a laptop you're tapping there then you look at your phone you're answering calls or uh, messages or you're on social media or whatever and take out all of these let your stress go into the woods or here we have this lake run around this lake enjoy a little bit of nature and uh, be on your own uh-huh. no i think that's so many so many things you just said there one be on your own thinking daydreaming i don't think don't, i think now with the cell phones kids don't daydream uh also too i mean just before we start this podcast two players are at a table and they're both on the phone They're they're not talking about the day. What are you working on? What what little discoveries have you said? You know what, what's making your tennis IQ higher? Recreation means to recreate that, that freshness. Um, you know, and, and people need that. I tell people, uh, do your math homework, take a five minute break, and get in front of the mirror. And three two, you know, do uh, you know? It could be two minutes of shadow swinging, three minutes of an exercise, just to get better at that exercise. And it's not like, well, I got to go shower now. No, no, just do leg lifts, just something very basic. Even how people watch TV, you know, get a mat out. And you could, if it, you know, a lot of people as well, during the commercial, do this during the commercial, the exercises. The mirror, I do think people who are in the business of running a commercial gym, they're going to put up mirrors because people come in and adults are overweight, they're out of shape. Okay, I'm looking in the mirror. I want to look better, look better. But the mirrors are really, for someone like yourself, it's the, teach technique it's the same as tennis you know you look in the mirror and you know our, we see kids that have too, you have too much weight i think another thing uh, uh, to mention is so many juniors cop out you say they're the best player in the program they know they can beat everybody within the practice and say ah, you know you're running a group and well this is who's here for the next two three weeks you know oh yeah you're the best player here for the next two or three weeks that alpha dog mentality so, well, because I can beat you two and two and I can beat you two and two, I'm going to be a little bit slack in the run. And I do think that's where, you know, people have a very, um, their circle, their perspective, their circle's too small, their lens is too small, and they don't really know. Junior tennis players need to be slapped across the head. When you turn 19, when you turn 19, you're competing against the world. You're not, you're not in juniors anymore. Um, I do think one story, Natalia Sorkin, she has been on our podcast, her oldest son, Max, I remember telling him, you should become a runner. I've told, I've told many people that over the years. They just didn't learn how to hit the ball. They were so competitive, they couldn't make technical changes. And um, if you remain the same, you're getting worse because there's people behind you that are getting better. And... Um, Her husband, Alexi, I mean, maybe it's been two years now. So the oldest son, he's a runner. And in that, in, in, in cross country and track, I think of um, Artie and Pogaimi, Megan Broderick, others, that they had a year of eligibility left. And you can get a cross country track scholarship. All they need to know is your time. 
and you know, actually that's one positive the UTR. If you're 13, five, you know, there's people that are going to be knocking on your door. Uh, but you know, just interesting to see the transformation. He was on a track with us uh, running, running intervals and very quiet guy, but you know, you just let one of the students know they messed up because they, they saved everything for the, the last interval. You know, they didn't, you know, they, they didn't really know how to pace themselves. But yeah, we need to uh, thank you for all the work that you've done last year, this year. It's great to have you here. Hope to have you come back. Hope to help you with uh, a grad assistantship. I do think that with that, uh, Mark Twain, um, American philosopher from years ago, don't let the classroom interfere with your education. You need academic prowess. You need to study that side of it. You know that, obviously, I don't have to tell you, but, but you also need the clinical too. You know, you learn from yourself, learn from your experiences. And, uh, you know, the, the amount of hours that you've logged, you know, for me, and I know you're very young, just to watch you last year and to watch you this year, the coaching's at a really high level. Um, with the other day at the park, uh, I introduced myself, a gentleman was watching you, and he's from France, and he's Coco Goff's uh, fitness coach. He's just watching your workout and said some nice things about it. You know, so I think that's a great thing in, in sport now that you can have a long career helping people become better. And you're interested in working with all athletes or you think, and I've asked you that, but I want to tell our listeners or, or want to focus mostly on tennis players. Um, I'm open. I'm open to, to everything. Um, like I, I'm coming from triathlon, so I'm open to free sports already and not working with you, what I'm really enjoying and also with my stepfather, not working a lot of tennis players. Um, I'm at the end. I'm I'm open. I I'm getting to gain or to see the fascination in tennis because tennis is so complex and complicated. It's just like a little adventure to 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 dive in this topic into the sport and see how many different details you have to think about and to see and there's so much work to do. Um, when it comes to endurance training, endurance training. Is, at some points are extremely simple, just run slow and run long. And when you gain bang better, then run longer. So, huh? so at the end, it's some principles, of course, it's not, not that simple at the end, but, uh, at first it's, it's mentioned like this is uh, tennis, extremely fascinating. And, um, I'm obviously extremely thankful for, for the opportunity you're giving me here to to dive in into the sport to work with athletes there uh, want to become pros so they're also willing to to do the work i'm doing with them and i'm i'm really enjoying the staying here and obviously uh, i would love it to to come back next year study my master here and still trying to stay in tennis um, and uh, working with kids there but like i said at the end i'm i'm extremely open uh, i also would work with soccer players, football players, basketball players, whatever. Um, I'm, what I'm dreaming of is just to work as a coach in a, as in, in, in a professional area. At the end, I'm extremely open. This is also the reason why I was choosing this, this fitness um, path because this fitness, you, needs, you need this in every sport. Uh, every sport is needing this, this strength, the endurance, speeds, mobility or st stretching and coordination uh, training uh, beside the specific sport 
exercises and training they have. So um, I'm, I'm open there to also other sports. No, I appreciate that answer. Complexities, the complexities of tennis. Uh, yesterday, um, I just ran into Ryler to Hart, walking by a pickleball court, a battery of pickleball courts. He's with his wife, Megan, and they're big time into pickleball. You know, there's these franchises being started. Uh, Megan, I think she said that she's four in the world. And I mean, I just asked them an hour of questions. We'll have to ask them to be on our podcast. But, you know, pickleball is here to stay. It's a force. Once again, tennis players, learn tennis skills, play pickleball, play tennis. And I think pickleball, we can actually help it boost tennis because tennis is down. I think I can ramble on, as people know, I tell juniors all the time, you'd be better off to work at McDonald's for a summer. I tell tennis players, here's another thought is uh, sign up for your cross country team. Yeah. There's, a, there's so many lines about cross country. Cross country, going up and down hills for three miles, it makes water taste so much better. <laughs> With, uh, but yeah, fitness, coming back to Federer and Nadal talking about it all day. Uh, it's great to talk to you about fitness. I'm sure our listeners have already got, as we would say, uh, golden nuggets to add to the tennis treasure chest. But big thank you from 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 me. But why do you, uh, if you had just to say one thing, and I know that's tough. You've already you already have covered so much ground. If you were to repeat one thing uh, with the players that you've worked with, because I know um, they'll listen to this podcast, and, and I'm sure this would apply to many people who have not been working with you, but if there was just one general comment that you'd have for the people, and, and you're a coach. I mean, I think that's one thing that really has to be stated. A coach, I love the definition. A coach brings, the coach will bring the story out of the player. The player won't bring the story out of themselves, but the coach will. And I think way too many, I've been in so many gyms, so many fitness trainers, very knowledgeable and such. They're providing great service. So I'm not bad-mouthing them but they're not a teacher and a coach. They're, they're teaching fitness, but there's no like, and you, your voice can go up and you have command and you're, you've earned respect. I think being young and also being an athlete and you can do everything you're asking them to do better. But if just with a group, they'll, they'll listen to this podcast, uh, they know who they are. What, what, what one thing would you have to say to the group? Ooh, so, so, so much. It, it can be more than one. Um, yeah. First of all, don't talk about it. Do it. It's also a thing that I had to learn a long, long time ago. I learned that from my stepfather. Um, don't don't tell you're going to do stuff and, yeah, I will do no run in the morning. Just do it. Don't, don't talk about it. Do it. And when you had done things, uh, then you can show results. But don't talk in front about it no just do it and um like i mentioned this uh, i mentioned this before um, was what i'm like like to telling the the athlete this uh, when you're lying in the morning in the bed and you're thinking about okay go ahead get now up go for the run think about it somewhere out is doing this run he's out now it's maybe raining even and it's cold and windy but this guy is stand up and went for this run and you like here in Florida, it's sun outside already. We have over 20 degrees uh, here. You sh could run topless, no problem at all. And you sleeping in, 
that's the reason why he will beat you at one day. Yeah. No, I like the idea of um, you're either here or zero. You, you have a practice log. You said you're going to do something. You're going to do it. And Nike, you know, the kids are always, you know, wearing these shirts. They just do it. And I could get over here, put that shirt, put that shirt on inside out because you're not doing it. You're just not doing it. Yeah. But, Johan, thank you very much. Appreciate it very much. Listeners, thank you. Uh, podcast 127 in the books. Thank you very much. Adios, amigos. Ciao. Ciao. Auf Wiedersehen. Tschüss. How do you say it? Tschüss. Tschüss. Uh, My German. Thanks. <laughs>